Welcome to Fruitful and Multiplying, a podcast from the Jewish Fertility Foundation. I'm your host, Ilana Frank. The first commandment in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply. But what if, due to infertility, that path isn't so straightforward? This is a podcast about the fertility path less traveled. From the inspiring and the inspired, and the cutting-edge technology and science that continues to evolve to make it all possible. All right, here we go. During her fertility journey, Lauren Mackler noticed that egg freezing and donation processes are seriously outdated, so she decided to change them. Along with her co-founders, Arielle Spiegel and Hallie Deco, Lauren created Co-Fertility, a startup revolutionizing the fertility space by bringing together egg freezing and egg donation. Brilliant. Co-fertility works to humanize both processes while also empowering egg donors and their families. Most notably, Co-fertility has an amazing program called Split, which allows women who donate half their retrieved eggs to freeze them and store the other half for free. Lauren, I am so excited to talk to you today about co-fertility and how you are literally revolutionizing the fertility space. All righty. So welcome, Lauren. I am so excited to talk to you about how co-fertility is literally changing the fertility space. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited about this conversation. So I did mention to you, we are going to do like a Facebook live or Instagram live or some Zoom, something to really get into the technical piece of co-fertility because you guys are really doing amazing work. But I want to know about you, right? (laughs) It all it always comes with like a story to unpack. Mm -hmm. So talk to me. So what's your fertility journey? Yeah, it's definitely a, a unique one for sure, um, but one that I'm more than more than happy to share. Um, years ago, I was working at Uber. I had been at Uber for quite some time. I joined there in the early days, and I had actually just pitched um, starting a new business line at Uber called Uber Health, uh, and it's basically to help patients get to the care that they need. Right? Like, Wait, a like lot of- you pitched this? I did. Like yeah. Lauren. Yeah, yeah. Me, Lauren. I created like a a PowerPoint presentation because I had this like was frustrated that this didn't exist. And I felt I saw research that showed millions of Americans miss a doctor's appointment every year because they don't have access to a reliable ride. I felt that Uber had reliable rides in spades. And so I thought we just needed to like put it together differently. Right. And so pitched it to our executive leadership team, said, hey, here's the business opportunity. This is good for the world. Like we should be doing this. Amazingly, they said yes. And within a few weeks, actually, I found myself, I had a pain in my side and wasn't sure what was going on. And so I went to my primary care doctor, pushed them to get me um, an ultrasound. The ultrasound quickly turned into a CT scan and some diagnostic testing later. They found that I am someone who has an incredibly rare abdominal disease. So I'm one of fewer than 200 people on the planet with this disease. It has a few different names. Um, multicystic peritoneal mesothelioma is, is this like mouthful of a, of a name, but it is so, so, so rare. And it was a lot to take in, but I started nav- like figuring out, like, how do I get rid of this disease? How do I manage it? And as you can imagine, as someone at that point who was in my late 20s and who had always hoped to someday become a mom, 
uh, I asked, like, what are my options? Will I ever be a mom? They basically were like, you know what? We don't know. There's, you know, of the people who've had this disease before, some of them have gone on to become a mom. Some of them have not. Um, and so I said, like, okay, if I'm going to have these surgeries to remove the disease, which they said was was inevitable, I wanted to know, like, should I freeze my eggs? Like, how do I preserve my fertility, right? And I went to go see an REI who specializes in rare diseases. And he was like, look, your disease is so rare. I'm not down with freezing your eggs. Uh, who knows? Like injecting your abdomen with hormones could not be the right path forward. Even though egg freezing is like such a great thing for so many people, who knows what it could do for you. And so as a type A planner, uh, I cannot help myself. I started looking into like, okay, if I don't have my own frozen eggs, what happens? Right. If I were to have these surgeries, they remove my ovaries. If I needed like, who knows where I could end up. So I started looking at egg donation. And are you already in a relationship like, or trying to have children? Okay. Like not yeah. that you have to so, be in a relationship, but where no, were you totally. at? I was about two or three months into dating my now husband. And he is amazing. It was very understanding. However, I was not at a point where I was like, Hey, come with me to the fertility doctor, you know? Um, I was very lucky to have a very close friend of mine, Alyssa, who um, is now actually an advisor to co-fertility, um, come with me to the REI. She came with me. I like highly recommend if anyone ever like take a friend or a loved one or someone who can be supportive into any doctor's appointment if you feel overwhelmed, right? Like someone who can help you. She, I remember she just like took notes feverishly because I was so overwhelmed with what was going on. Um, she helped me write down my, the answers helped me remember which questions to ask, et cetera. So Alyssa came with me. I'll also say my sister came with me to a bunch of my other doctor's appointments, which I'm so grateful for. But I remember I got in with this REI off a cancellation list. So it was like that morning they called and they were like, do you want to come in? And so Alyssa happened to work with me at Uber at the time. I ran over to her desk and I was like, come with me to this appointment. She was like, let's go. So she dropped everything. We went together and basically started looking into egg donation, right? As someone who's Jewish, I thought like, do I care if my donor is Jewish? Do I not? Like, what are the options out there if that did matter to me? And what I found about egg donation honestly was pretty off-putting. I was surprised by the amount of donor compensation that gets paid to people, especially like the more specific you get with what you want, right? So if you're like, oh, I want someone who's Jewish or I want someone who has a certain level of education, right? Like the, the cost of donor compensation goes up. Um, I also was pretty surprised at like how little you know about these women, right? Like sometimes it might just be one photo. Sometimes like in one case, I saw like a spreadsheet of donors that a clinic had and yep. everyone was like a row on a spreadsheet. And I was like, what? Like, this just seems crazy. Like, how is that like how we provide genetics, right? If somebody needs it to, to grow their family. So I was really in research mode at this point. I obviously wasn't looking to have a child. I just wanted to like plan ahead, you know? And I started having this conversation with my with my family. And I'm I'm very close with my family. I remember um I remember uh, walking home from from work and calling my sister and telling her like, oh, I looked at these options and she said to me, and I'll never forget, she was like, Lauren, I will freeze my eggs and donate them to you. And I was kind of, 
I mean, one, it was like an amazing offer, but it, it was a, a shock, right. To, to hear that. And she was like, and how old is she? So at the time she was 34, mm-hmm. which is like the ASRM cutoff for egg donation. Um, and she had two beautiful boys at that point who, when I tell you, like being their aunt taught me about what love is. Like, I didn't know, not obviously not the romantic kind of love, right? But like, I didn't know I could love another human the way that I know now, right? Until I met my sister's firstborn and then it like multiplied with her secondborn, right? And so I knew that like love doesn't mean, it doesn't have to just be your own child for you to feel that way about someone, right? So I, I knew in an instant, right, that like, to me, you know, sure, we look related, right? When I look at her kids, they definitely look related to me. But I knew that like my heart like had expanded in a major way and that it, that them technically being her biological child wouldn't impact the way I loved them, right? And so I, before I said yes, I talked at length with my therapist about it. We talked a lot about what it would mean as a family or what it might mean for me or what even the concept of like, grieving one's genetics, right? That's something that is part of the um, egg donation process, right? Obviously I wasn't there yet, but we talked about what I might want to be prepared for should I, should all this go down, right? So long story short, my sister decided and I decided that we wanted to go through with this ahead of my first major surgery. And my doctor was encouraging of that because he said, look, you going into this major surgery to remove this disease, knowing that you have those eggs there can provide you with an immense peace of mind going into it. And so that's what we did. Um, She went through the process up in San Francisco, even though she lived in LA, I lived in San Francisco at the time, actually ended up having my surgery down in San Diego because that's where I could find someone who was familiar with my disease. And my doctor was right, really. I, I got to have these this, I ended up having two big major surgeries after an initial diagnostic surgery. And each time signing away like my reproductive organs saying like, oh, they might not be there when I wake up, right? So you go to bed not knowing if they're they're going to be there. You go down for your surgery and then you wake up and it's like, a, are they there or are they not? And so I was lucky enough that they were able to preserve my reproductive organs, but I still didn't know how my fertility would be impacted by this disease, right? And so um, I went through those surgeries knowing they were on ice. And then after my last surgery, um, you know, went through the necessary period of of recovery. I got married uh, six months after my last surgery. And then it was about a year or so before my husband and I were like, okay, let's let's see what's possible. And um, I will mention too that like the experience of not knowing, you know, this came up with my team the other day when I was in the hospital for each recovery. And I was there for about two weeks each time, pretty lengthy recovery. This was a hospital that played a lullaby throughout the hospital. Every time a child was born. What did that feel like? Right? Like, you know, and I, 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 now that I'm in a different place, I feel like I should go to that hospital and ask them to like reevaluate their policy. Right. Because there are so many people that are in that hospital that may never be able to have a child, even though it is a total, like the miracle of life, right? Like it is so amazing that a child is born and that it should be celebrated, but it hit me hard every time. 
right? And I think mm-hmm. too, I'm someone who like, after I had a lot of anesthesia, I'd be like extra emotional, you know? Sure. And so every time I'd hear that lullaby, I felt like for sure triggered, right? Like for sure, like, will that ever be me? I don't know, right? And so anyway, back to back to my story, but I, I just mentioned that because I, I feel for anyone else who like has to sit through something like that and can't really escape it or turn it off. You know, you're, yep. you're stuck in this hospital and it keeps coming. Um, and, you know, even having watched the Super Bowl yesterday, right? Like that could have been so triggering for so many people who, you know, um, you know, seeing Rihanna perform amazing and pregnant amazing, but it's a lot when that's not what you're expecting to see when you're just like trying to be entertained at a Super Bowl. Um, anyway, um, so my doctor said, Hey, try for six months. If you're not pregnant, come see me. Um, and crazy enough on the sixth month, I conceived my now 20 month old daughter unassisted without using my sister's eggs. And she was born in, in 2021. Her name is Eden. She's my own little paradise. Um, but giving birth gave me this immense clarity of what my life's purpose should be. It felt like it hit me over the head, like a ton of bricks. And I just felt this feeling like I need to work in reproductive health. Like, look at this like amazing creature that I have. Like I want to spend all my days helping as many people be able to have this as possible. And so oh, before sorry. we get into that, no, I was just going to say, first of all, impressive that you have a 20 month old and your brain was working. Like it always took me about a year mm-hmm. before I could get my brain properly working. Yeah. And you're going to talk to Thank us you. about how you started a business. Yeah, yeah. So that's impressive. <laughs> Um, I'd like to just talk a little bit about like, what was it, what was the feeling like? I mean, that's a huge thing your sister offered. Oh my God. Yeah. And what was it like? What was the feeling like? I mean, you're going into this major surgery is, uh, or plural. What was it like knowing that you had this option, even if you didn't need to use it? Yeah. So I'll never forget. She said something like, I would get, and she said this to the doctor. She was like, I would give my left arm if it meant Lauren could be a mother. And I remember thinking like, she's a lefty too, right? (laughs) That's a big deal. Um, And what that just like touched me so much, right? As someone who already was a mother and knew what having that experience had meant to her and wanting me to have that as well, right? Like it for sure meant the world to me and is something I think about constantly, right? I feel so grateful for that and um just just totally moved by and and um I think it it really took the pressure off in so many ways, right? It meant that like I didn't have to obsess about my fertility. Um and even now as someone who hopes to have a second child, I feel the pressure taken off because I know I have those eggs there in a really beautiful way. Um, my last surgery I had, had something involved called HIPEC, which is like, and, and my disease, by the way, it could be benign. It could be low grade cancer. It's like debated in the literature, but I had something called HIPEC, which is where they use heated chemo as like a wash in your abdomen. And that was the biggest question of like, will this impact your fertility or not? And so I had to like make a choice of like, I am willing to go through with this treatment 
because me living a long, healthy life and not dealing with this disease is more important to me than having a child with my own genetics. So this was before your daughter was born? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so it was like an active choice that I made and a very, in my mind, it felt very pragmatic and like, what good is having a child if, if she doesn't have her mom here for a long time, you know, kind of a thing. And so, um, I don't know, it was a a lot of like big decision-making and, um, and Google docs of options and research and all of those things. Is your husband like you or did you guys like, how do you, um, you guys are the same Google doc. Oh yeah. That's interesting. Okay. I'm certainly, I mean, we're both planners. We're both like that quite a bit, but as I definitely took the lead as it related to my own care. And what's interesting and and kind of kind of scary is that I've now been told by two different surgeons that I'm probably the world's foremost expert in my disease, which is like, I'm not a doctor. So that's pretty scary. Um, but it's because I'm well-researched and try to make these choices. And so I don't, obviously I've made incredible choices so far if I ended up going through with these things and then ended up having a child. So long story short, my, I feel so grateful. My sister's actually gone on to have a third child um, after donating my eggs, uh, donating eggs to me. And so that makes me even happier that she like still had her own family goals that she was able to, to achieve. And um, now her youngest is a girl and my daughter, they're really close. And so just really, it makes me very happy. And is this the sister I got to meet? Yes. Oh, okay. Small world, small yeah. world. I got yes. to meet her at a conference recently. Yeah. Amazing. I wish I knew this whole story before yeah. I actually talked I to her. Know. That's an amazing story. So all this time, these past 20 months plus, yeah. uh, clearly you're smart, clearly you're well-versed and you like research. And now you're a female entrepreneur. I mean, besides the fact that Uber Health that you already, yeah, yeah. you know, shared. Talk yeah. to us about co-fertility. Yeah. What's that? So co-fertility is, we're calling it a fertility ecosystem because that's what it is at its core. Um, it's an op- We basically give women the opportunity to freeze their eggs for free when they donate half of the eggs retrieved to intended parents that can't otherwise conceive. So it could be someone who struggles with infertility, could be gay dads or cancer survivors, like anyone who needs an egg donor can come and find one with us. And what's great about it is that like, we totally take donor compensation out of the equation. And so these women are not, you know, motivated to go donate their eggs over and over and over again for cash. Or, you know, if you look at some of the the ads that different egg banks and folks use, it's like, want a Gucci bag, like donate your eggs every three months, right? Like that's not the case here. Here, intended parents are empowering a, a woman to go and live her life on her own terms because she will get to keep half of those eggs. And she gets to feel this like win-win of sure, helping set herself up for future success, but also helping grow another family. And it's working, which is really exciting, right? Like our hypothesis was like, what if we were to bring this to the table, can we open up the pie of women who are interested in egg donation, right? Can we grow that number of people who might've been off put by egg donation because they didn't love the idea of quote unquote, as they they put it, selling their eggs? Um, And can we do it in a way that 
you know, intended parents have more options, right? Like, can we bring to the table more diverse egg donors, more um, people who fulfill the the needs and or desires of intended parents? Because I think what we had seen with our initial research was that intended parents felt like the existing options were just falling short. So that's what we're doing. Um, but the how it happened, I think, is really cool to to get back to the like story. So. I gave birth in May. I decided to give myself a real maternity leave because I had been at Uber for eight and a half years, which is like a very long time to be at a, a I started when it was like a couple hundred employees. At that point, it was over 20,000. So it's a lot to see in that amount of time. And I started really digging in on the fertility space and reproductive health, things like that. And I decided to like give notice at the end of my maternity leave at Uber without a plan. And talk about the universe. Within a day, my now co-founder, Hallie Teco slid into my DMs on Instagram. Like we only, we had met a couple of times at a conference years, years ago, uh, or like in the, within the digital health space, but I followed her on Instagram and she's just a role model for me in the um, healthcare space. She's someone who is just a fierce, fierce advocate for women's health for innovation in healthcare has done a ton. She's both a founder and an investor herself. And she DM'd me and was like, Hey, I heard you might be building something like what's going on. And I was like, I'm not, but like, are any of your portfolio companies hiring? Like what's up? And she's like, I was like, but I did, I gave notice at Uber yesterday. And she's like, what you're on the market. And so she asked me for my phone number. And I remember telling, like running down the stairs, telling my husband, like, Hallie Teco DM'd me like, oh my gosh. Cause she really was a, a role model to me. Um, and we got on the phone and she pitched me on this idea. She was like, look, I've been thinking about starting a business like this for, I think it was like 2015 or 2016 that this had been on her mind. And she was like, you should be the CEO I'll be one of your co-founders. Like, let's go do this. And um, from that moment forward, like, and she didn't even know about my own his health history. She didn't even know my sister had donated eggs. What do we call that? Found- it's the shared. It's shared. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. So much so. And so that was, that was it. And Hallie, you know, has been through her own crazy fertility journey as well. And, and really just felt that this was something that needed to exist. I think one of her biggest regrets in life is that she didn't freeze her eggs in her twenties. She one, didn't know that she should, and two, couldn't have afforded it. Right. And so we wanted to create more affordable options for women who are interested in egg freezing, right? Because this science exists. It's just so unattainable for so many people. Um, And so that's really the genesis of this whole thing. I love this story. I love this story. I really, truly do. I, I love uh, female entrepreneurs. I love um, how you've created it. Talk to me a little bit about anonymous. I mean, oh, yeah. there's no option for anonymous donation, right? Yeah. So so it's really that we, we think the word anonymous needs to, ju- we're allergic to that word. Um, it's not because we believe everybody needs to be in a deep relationship with their donor because we don't. We still think people should do what's right for them, but we want everyone to be realistic and know that the year is 2023. 
things like Ancestry or 23andMe exist, right? That is super prevalent today. Imagine what is going to exist 18 years from now when your donor-conceived child grows up into a awesome, thriving donor-conceived adult, right? And so we just feel that like the fact that there are still companies out there pushing anonymous eggs is wrong. And so we don't use that word. We're, we educate our donors. We educate intended parents to be super understanding about that fact. And then we give two options. We have disclosed, we have undisclosed. Undisclosed means you don't need to have each other's information up front. You'll communicate through co-fertility, but you are very understanding of the fact that you may be found later in life. Even if your like, great uncle does a 23andMe test, you're findable, right? And yep. so- um, we find that after we do a lot of this education, most intended parents and most donors actually say, mm, I'd prefer disclosed anyway. Um, I do think that like those who tend to go for the undisclosed option, even after that kind of education tends to be for a cultural reason. And we don't want to force that on people, but we do feel that the education upfront is really important. And how are you guys providing or helping with that education piece? Yeah. So, I mean, there is a ton of, there are a ton of resources on our website. We have a one-on-one -on -one call with every intended parent, with every donor to talk through it. Um, we also provide access. We have a fertility psychologist on our medical advisory board who is more than happy to meet with people. Um, and it's something that like, we feel really strongly that like, you have to decide up front. We're not going to facilitate a match without you nailing and having clarity around what you want the relationship to look like. And are you guys actually doing the match behind the scenes? Is that yeah. what? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So um, intended parents come to our website to find someone that they are interested in matching with. We actually believe in what we call mutual match, meaning that once they select a donor, we, with their permission, with the intended parents permission, we like share some details about those. Sometimes they write a letter or whatever it might be, but the donor has to also opt into the match before it moves forward. We think it's like weird when the donor has no idea where their eggs are going. Um, and then they like, we also put up front in the profile, what type of relationship does this donor want? So like if the donor says, and we have a lot of women who say this, I only want a disclosed relationship and an intended parent wants undisclosed or isn't sure we have that up front. And we are very explicit with intended parents that like, hey, your expectations are different than the donors. Like either change what you want or find another donor because we're never going to push a donor to change her perspective because it has to be something that sits well with her forever. A thousand percent. I get it. Um, yeah. I do my own matchmaking. I mean, that's what we are, right? Yeah. Matchmakers. So it's literally... Yep. My team jokes. They were like, we need to call you cheap matchmaker, Lauren. It's it really is. It really is because it's yes. not always a match. You're dating for a while. All I do is introduce people um, in the embryo space. And if it's a match, I'm sure you're in, you guys, I don't know how it works in the egg, uh, egg donation, but in the embryo donation, there's a lot of legal and oh, a yeah. lot of medical. And yeah. then I say, I'm out of the game. If you guys are interested, you guys have to, you know, yeah. follow up. We we help facilitate that whole process. Um, so we help with facilitating the legal side, with the clinic involvement, with all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it is a serious thing, and and I think what's really exciting is that 
the women we're seeing come through, and we've had thousands of women apply, which is really exciting since we launched in October of this past year. Um, what's really exciting is that, and I don't know if it's a Gen Z thing or like a young millennial thing or whatever it might be, but this age group is really, really open-minded about the way that families are built today, right? So they understand that for someone who has infertility or for a gay man to have a baby, like they may need and they like, or definitely need the help of a third party to have that baby. Right. And so these women, um, get that and believe that anybody who wants to be a parent deserves to be a parent. And they see this as like another way that they get to like contribute to the world. Right. And so, um, I don't know. I don't think that this like question of disclosure is so off-putting to these women, right? Like, I think they're like, oh, like, yeah, I can see myself like having a long-term relationship. Like, actually, I'll give you a really cool story. Um, I was at a female founder's dinner recently and everyone went around and they were like, talk about what you're doing and whatever. So I I introduced myself. I told them what I was doing and, and a woman raises her hand. She's like, I have to interrupt. I have to interrupt. It's like, okay, like, what's up? And she was like, I donated my eggs 14 years ago and I just went to my eggs bar mitzvah. She calls him a family, her egg, which I find to be the most endearing thing ever. And she said, you know, I've stayed in touch with his mother over the years. Like, you know, maybe we are in touch once or twice a year. And he asked his mom if he could invite me and my family to his bar mitzvah to thank us for the incredible gift that he gave my family. And he thanked, so she went with her now three children and her parents, and he thanked her during the candlelighting ceremony. I think that's beautiful. Right? So like, it's that kind of story of disclosure, right? That like, you know, it doesn't have to be this like super intense, uh, involved relationship. It, or it could be right. It's whatever fits for who you are and what matters to you. You know, um, I don't know if you know Wendy, the founder of uh, Donor Sibling Registry. Have you met her yet? If not, I you should. I haven't yet, but I <laughs> You should. should. Okay. And one of the things that she says uh, that really stuck with me is like, you know, they're going to be family. It doesn't mean you have to like your family. It doesn't mean you have to invite them to Thanksgiving meals. Like, yep. they're your family. They have a story. They have a history. Um and sometimes you like your own biological family. Sometimes you don't. So, you know, it's just like you get to you get to choose who you want in your life. And I think that that for me and yeah. our family dynamics is really important. And I think it's interesting what you said about like, what is it, Gen Z? Yeah. You know, a lot of people that you're seeing who are potentially donating. Yeah. It's like it's just a different time. It's just a different mindset. Even from like 10 or 15 years ago, we're yeah. shifting our perspective. My question for you is around the demographics of who, who you're seeing yeah. who are interested in donating. Oh, so yeah. like besides the age range, yeah, all these, like, yeah. like who are they religious, religiosity yeah. wise, yeah. or, yeah. um, you know, I guess, is it like socioeconomically, like talk a little bit about that. Yeah. What we're seeing is pretty fascinating in that, and what we had hypothesized, right, which is that these women who are applying are incredibly educated, incredibly ambitious, career-driven women, right? And that 
the women who would be interested in egg freezing are interested in it for a reason, right? Because maybe they have spent X amount of years or are going to spend X amount of years as part of their training or part of their education and know that they're going to put off having a child until their mid to late thirties or, um, you know, have been so focused on their career that they maybe haven't found a partner yet. Right. And so over 50% of our active donors, even I think it's closer to 60 have a graduate degree or higher, um, which is really hard to find in other, um, donation programs. Um, we are seeing really diverse applicants. So I think the last I checked, it was close to 20% had Jewish ancestry, which Jewish ancestry means different things, right? So some of those women definitely identify and were raised as Jewish. Um, others may be, you know, have half Jewish roots or, um, you know, we have one donor who was adopted at birth and knows her biological family history, but was adopted by a Jewish family. So was converted at birth, right? So like one thing, we actually have a, an article on our website that my, my sister's sister-in-law, so my brother-in-law's sister, who's a rabbi, helped write where it's like the Jewish opinion around egg donation. Like, what does it, does it need to be like that your donor is like has maternal bloodline Jewish ancestry, right? And really at its core, what, what it, it's like, what does it mean to you? What does Judaism mean to you? And how does that, how do you relate to that? Um, so uh, I think, you know, 20% of our donors ha are Asian, right? Like we really are seeing um, a, a wide variety of women. And, um, I feel so, I mean, I, every time we make a match, I'm really happy, but making Jewish matches is, is really like a extra special feeling. So um, I have to ask, are there any babies yet? So we just launched in October. October 19th of 2022, and it's only February 13th of 2023. So that would be impossible unless that you is know true. about scientific Biology. advancements that I don't know about. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so too early for there to be babies, but we have had incredible matches that are well on their way to baby. So um, it really is just the best feeling. We have this like alert that comes through every time we make a new match. And it's like, that like, it really, to me is like, I have found what I meant to do. You know, I, I do know. Um, it is amazing making babies and helping people through the process. It's like, you need to ring a bell, bell yes. every time. Um, it's like, you're getting the nonprofit feel through a business. It's awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. I love it. I think we're going to get into some of the more technical, if people, you know, are interested in yeah. actually understanding how to do it and how to, you know, how to work your website, how to freeze, like what yeah. are the processes? But I guess in the last minute or so, talk to us about, you know, a lesson that you've learned along the way as an entrepreneur and, you know, putting yeah. your mind to something like this. Yeah. I think that like, and it's, it's interesting. I, I, I'll never forget the, I pitched our two biggest investors on my daughter's six month birthday. And it was a lot. And I was a breastfeeding mom. And I just felt so like moved by what I was doing that it was like, it just like propelled me in a way that nothing ever has before. And so I think that like finding something you feel that way about is so important. And not, um, I don't know, not settling on something that you don't feel that way about. Um, 
So like pursuing that, that feeling where like you get to combine what you're good at and what the world needs and like what you're passionate about, right. In the, in, in one thing. So, um, highly recommend that. I think having a supportive partner, having supportive friends, supportive family has like been game changing. Um, and in general, I think like knowing your options, whether that you're somebody who's thinking about freezing your eggs, um, don't take no for an answer. There's always a way and we can work with you on that. And then on the egg donation side, I always, I get on it calls with intended parents sometimes. And I'm like, look, I know you're not excited to meet me. Like, that's okay. We don't need to pretend that you are. But my hope is that like, no one wants to go down the egg donor path, right? But my hope is that you don't have to feel like you're settling and that we can find you someone that that makes you feel a connection, that makes you feel some hope about moving forward in your journey. And we can get there, right? So, so I think like being open to, uh, I guess like staying focused on like that end goal of, of growing your family and being flexible on the how is what I would say. Lauren, you're an inspiration. I love what you're doing and it's evident that you love what you're doing. Um, you guys can't see her face, but she definitely is glowing and you are definitely impressive. So thank you for being here with us. Thank you. I love what you're doing. Really. I, I feel the same way and you're glowing right back. So, um, no, I, I look forward to incredible things we can keep doing together as well. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Fruitful and Multiplying. And as always, reach out with more podcast ideas and feedback. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Jewish Fertility Foundation.